when Mark, Mark was giving a sermon at it, which I, I was all in. I figured he could just go. You guys have listened to him preach a lot, and he's hopefully in the next month or so he'll share some more. But <laughs> he said, Jason gives all these inspiring words, and Adrienne and I laugh at him up front. We just, we start giggling, which is awful of us, by the way. She, like, laughs, and I'm laughing, like, oh, my goodness. So, this is bad. Hey, we're, so today we're starting a new series, uh, new teaching time, new, um, we're going to, we didn't, I'm uh, not just, like, ejecting on Thessalonians. Uh, I think the, what, the final couple pieces that I wanted to do with that, I'll probably record digitally in my office. And then if you want to watch them, you can go watch them. Uh, and I'll talk to myself, which will be weird, but I'll do it. And I, there's a couple pieces, but I really wanted to start talking about some new stuff. And uh, so I'm going to give you an outline of where we're going to go for the next three or four months. We're going to spend the next three weeks talking about generosity uh, and, and, and just how building a framework of generosity within our church. And it's not that you're not generous. So I'm not preaching to attack something. I'm preaching because I want to inspire and, and continue to have us uh, stir us up about generosity and being generous. Uh, then in December, we're going to do a, a classic Christmas time series, and we're going to do some, there'll be some uh, monologues and people acting during those months, which will be fun. We'll try to mix it up a little bit. Uh, lots of carols and things like that through Christmas, and um, on our calling and our purpose and and. And within that, we're going to be talking about missions, and we'll have our missions week, and we'll also have the verdicts come. So the verdicts are going to come on the 5th of January, and then we'll have a few weeks in between, and we're going to talk about spiritual gifts and how you're wired and how, how God's called you and, and, and begin to kind of shape uh, and, and maybe even encourage you to explore what God's doing in your life as he's speaking to you. And, uh, and then and try to launch. And then in February, I think it's the second, uh, Matt, uh, lost his last name, from Uruguay will be here for a week with us. So we'll have a, a traditional missions conference. We'll have a Wednesday and a couple probably lunches. And he'll probably do something with the students. And he'll be here to share. And he's going to actually talk. I, I asked him to talk about how he was called to be a missionary. Uh, I, I firmly believe as I look out and I see young people here, we have people that are, are, are getting that, like, itch. They're feeling God speak. And, and I want to have somebody that's actually in the field stand before them and say, here's what God said to me, and here's how I stepped out and followed him. So Matt is one of our Alliance missionaries. I said he's from Uruguay, right? That's where he's at. He's in Uruguay. And so he'll, he'll be here, and he's, he's younger. So that's exciting, too, because it's a, I think I, he might be in his, like, mid-20s. So him and his, and that's crazy to, to me just to think being called to missions and leaving the comforts of this world, the United States is this world, <laughs> and going to Uruguay. So we are, uh, so we're going to spend three weeks talking about generosity. This week, I think that's three weeks, yep. And um, in the next couple of weeks, I think we got something next week, you're good. Uh, as part of it's part of this time I'm, I want to bring in and have a different voice, so it's not just my voice. But I, and so next week Chris is going to share within a little bit of, of what I what bringing. Uh, we'll talk about giving next week a little bit more, and Chris is going to come in and share some concepts that uh, the elders are going to start wrestling with, and that Chris is already beginning to wrestle with when it comes to discipleship, and how we're going to be moving in discipleship here at this church, 
And, and so he's going to share for 10 or 15 minutes in, within the talk time about giving, uh, well, about stewardship, I think. We'll figure that out. But he's going to do it. And then I, I, might, I might pluck you and touch you and say, hey, will you come and do an interview with me uh, for that final week? Because the, there's some stories that I've heard, and I would just like to talk. I know I'm going to ask my wife to come up here and talk for a little bit about generosity uh, and, and maybe a not so um, traditional way when you think of generosity, but like the way in which we give to others or don't. And so uh, if you have a story about giving or tithing, I'd love to talk to you about it to where maybe God shaped you a little bit. I, you, it's good for the people to hear from the people, not just me. And so that, I want to do some of that too. And that's where we're going. That's an overview. That's a, a high-level view. I know where we're going. Uh, has anybody heard the name Sky Jathani? Jathani? Sky is, uh, I, he's, he hovers in alliance circles. He's written some books. He speaks at council. He speaks at life. He speaks at all these different uh, Christian and missionary alliance events. And he, he, set, he has this quote in one of his books. He says this, The contemporary church has been captivated by the images and methods of the consumer culture. And it has forfeited its sacred vocation to be a countercultural agent of God's kingdom in this world. Did you follow what I just said, what he said, that I said, that he said? <laughs> the church has started to follow the world more than it's followed its vocation as a church. That we look and act and display the same as the world does. That we are a consumerism-driven church group now. Now, I don't think he was naming specific groups, but if you put your mind kind of into church world out there and think about churches and, and kind of think about certain ways people do church and certain ways people are church, that the churches exist, and I've joked about it here, no more smoke and mirrors, and, I, and I'm not even bashing, but we came from uh, the idea that if we put on a good show and we put on a good performance, we do it, and I would, that's even more negative than I want it to be. If we put on the proper service, that people will come. People will want to consume what we have to offer. And, and we've actually slipped as the church across the United States into that same mentality. If we put uh, the display item at the end of the cabinet on the, on the aisles, we'll tend to buy it. How many of you walked by and picked up a bag of M&Ms at Walmart because they're right there? Oh, am I the only one? Yeah, they're right there at the end cap. You can walk. You can go grocery shopping. They... And, and, and you're just getting your stuff. You're there for your bread, and you're there for your, your, your uh, leche, and you're there for your milk. You're there for your milk. And, and you get your staples, the things that you need to go shopping with. And then at the end, they have all these things. And then all of a sudden, your, ba your basket, your, your grocery cart, starts to have things that aren't on your list because they're right there for you to touch and grab. Here's the most dangerous one at Walmart. We go into Walmart, and uh, if you go to the bad parking lot, better design Walmart, which is the east side Walmart, we have this argument within the church that this is, <laughs> the parking lot's horrible on the east side, but the Walmart design is better. The Walmart design over here is awful, but the parking lot is fantastic. And we can negotiate after church based on where you go. Um, but uh, if you go into the Walmart on the east side and you walk in, uh, and, and you're on the, you go to the right side, so like the grocery side. 
you walk in and there's this aisle or this like display that has like the frosted sugar cookies and the cupcakes and all the fun, delicious things. And, and every time I go in there, and my kids and wife would know this, there's a box of sugar cookies with the frosted top on that hits our bag. I have to walk by it to go get the things I'm going to get. And I'm just right there. And I'm like, all right, well, I'm getting the grapes because I know I'm getting the grapes. And the sugar cookies are right here. So you guys know what that feels like. Grocery stores do that because they know how to touch the thing that you want to consume. So as part of generosity, uh, an underlying theme is are we good stewards? Are we being a good steward of what God has given us? So here's some fun facts about Scripture. 16 of the 38 parables are concerned with how we handle money and our possessions. 16 of 38. Now, I'm going to do some quick math. That's like 45%. Is that right? Close? Almost half of all the parables deal with money and possessions. In the Scriptures, there's 500 verses on prayer. 500. There's less than 500 verses on faith. Less than. 2,300 verses on money and possessions. 2,300. What the scriptures is, is telling us is that we need to pay attention to this part of our life. And I wrote this down on the board during the worship set. I don't know if that freaked anybody out. It was like, uh, thing, I almost walked in front of them, but I thought they would like, I thought Mark would like, hard stop, the, the worship, then like, what's Jason doing? And it, like, now that I've, I'm growing a mustache, maybe he's not really Jason anymore. And it's like, ah, it's coming in nice, right, guys? You like the mustache? It's so good. It's that creepy kind of pastor. I love it. <laughs> My kids hate it. Everyone hates it, but I love it because you hate it. But I, I, walked, I walked around, I wrote this, uh, I wrote this. I won't bow to the things of this world. That's, that's, that's from one of the songs we sang. I won't bow to the things of this world. The story of Scripture, that, or the story that Scripture is trying to tell us or teach us, uh, when you start to, start to weigh the math out on the money and possessions thing, is that we're supposed to pay attention to it. Because we naturally bow to the things of this world. We naturally will bow and worship. The, the th we cling to what we have. We closed in our house on Friday, and I, it was, everything was fine and good until my wife gave me this dirty look, and she actually put her hand on my thigh because I was joking with the family, and everybody in town knows who this family is we bought the house from, but we, that we, that we just, you know, whatever. And so we're sitting there talking, and this is the first time they sold a house. And we've been through this before. We know what, it li what it's like. We know what it feels like. We know what the inspection thing feels like. We know, and so we're joking about it. And, and I said, we were looking to stick it to somebody with this inspection. And Adrienne was like. And then she put her hand on my thigh. And I'm like, and they were laughing. They got it. She was just signing documents. And I was yucking it up, making things, you know, doing, giving inspiring words is what I was doing. <laughs> and I know that when we were going through the closing process, we were, I was marching around here, we're going to stick it to this, you know, like, have this attitude. It's based on experience. We had it stuck to us a couple times. We got stabbed a few times in our checkbook when we tried to close on houses, and we know what that feels like. And so we're, like, clinging 
to the things in our checkbook. We're not going to give up more than we have to to get into this house because we, we love. Now, you just think about your stuff. Uh, I heard Adrienne telling a story about when we moved from Iowa. I don't know if she fully explained it all. But when we moved from Iowa to here, the day we moved, when we drove away, there was, there was uh, a full, um, an entire garbage, like, dumpster that was the size of a semi-truck full of stuff. And, and things on the yard. I mean, it was just like the whole front of our house was just piled with stuff. And as we're driving, Adrienne's like, I didn't know you threw that away. And I'm like, yeah. I, she was inside packing, and I was outside throwing things in the dumpster fire. Let's get rid of it. Let's get rid of it. And you know what it's like when you move. You, 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 ha- you realize how much stuff you have. But, like, when it's in your house, you're like, I need it. I want it. I want to hold on to it. And it's not that we're worshiping those things, but the things of this world, our possessions, become something of an object of affection to us. Our money becomes an object of affection. We care a lot about it because it's, it's tangible. We can put our hands on it. We can touch it. And here's what I, here's, I think we're invited, and this is not my words, we're invited to live a different story as followers of Jesus. We're invited to participate in another story. And so um, you guys know how big of a fan I am of the Bible Project. There's this writing that, uh, that Tim Mackey from the Bible Project wrote, and I'm just going to read it to you. This, this is an invitation to live a different way when it comes to generosity and being a good steward. In the story of Bible, in the Bible, God is depicted as a, a generous host who provides for the needs of his guests. However, humans live from a different mindset. We live from a mindset of scarcity, and we hoard, hoard God's many gifts. We explore, I'm sorry, we explore God's inexplicable generosity um, by keeping things close to the chest. The story of the Bible begins with a beautiful portrait of God as a generous host, providing everything, everything needed for his creature, his creations, to enjoy in his good will. The narrative of Genesis 1 depicts God as the one who orders and energizes a creation that generates an overabundance of value. When God appoints humanity as his partners, and co-rulers over creation, he supplies them with all their needs and asks them to trust his generosity and live by his wisdom. And this all sounds great until, what? The human beings begin to doubt God and his generosity. The biblical story shows how God chooses one family through whom he wants to restore the blessing of abundance to all nations, Abraham. Abraham and his Israelite children are supposed to be the vehicle of God's abundance to others. What does God say to Abraham? You'll be blessed, and nations will be blessed because of you. However, throughout the Old Testament, the Israelites live from a scarcity mindset. Put that in your head, a scarcity mindset. I only have so much that I can put my hands on. I only have so much that I'm given, so I'm going to keep it and hold it. And it sets them on a course of self-destruction. The story of the Old Testament concludes with all humanity, even the Israelites, sitting in a mess of their own making. Then the story of Jesus in the New Testament is portrayed as God's response to, to a history of human selfishness. In a great reversal of expectations, God decides to give the ultimate gift himself. 
In Jesus, we see the creator God identify with humanity's suffering and the plight of scarcity. Jesus chooses to go without adequate food, water, or shelter. And it, And he reached out to the homeless, the hungry, in order to share God's abundance with them. How many people did he feed with a couple baskets of food? Ultimately, Jesus allows the selfishness of his own people to kill him. And he overcomes their evil with his generous love in his resurrection from the dead. He invites his followers to live as if the future reality of God's abundant kingdom has truly arrived here and now. I'm going to repeat that again. Remember, these are the Bible Project's words. This is Tim Mackey's words. Jesus invites his followers to live as if the future reality of God's abundance, his abundant kingdom, is, has truly arrived here and now. The risen Jesus invites his followers to imitate his same life of generosity towards others. Living generously requires a posture of trust in God. And it's all rooted in the conviction that God has given us all that we need. If Jesus gave the ultimate gift of his own life for us, despite our selfishness, our failures, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, then we are only reasonably, we, then the only reasonable response is to extend that same loving gift to others. The story of Jesus has the potential to recreate in us the image, the image of a generous God who loves to give abundantly. So we're invited to join that story. And as soon as you follow Jesus and and commit your ways to Christ, and you have the indwelling Jesus in you, you have the opportunity then to demonstrate and live that out daily in generosity. Think about how we live as hoarders at times. I'm not just talking like stacks of newspapers in our house, but like we hold tight and cling to the things that we have. That's a scarcity mindset. Like this is it. This is all that I've been given, and I'm not going to take, I'm not going to be given any more, so I have to hoard it so I have what I have. One of the questions that we need to work through as a church and as people, um, it's not a matter is if you own something or you are the owner of something, but what belongs to you? And then to go, go a little bit deeper, are you somebody else's property? Does somebody own you? Who do you belong to? Do you belong to anybody? We sang these two words this morning, too, in, in, in a lot of different songs. Lord and King. Lord and King, Lord and King, do you feel like part of a kingdom that you belong to? Do you feel like you belong to Jesus as Lord, that he is the Lord or has lordship over your life? Not just the way in which you live as far as sin goes, but like everything. So we have to answer and wrestle with that question. Do I belong to God? Do I live as though I belong to God, that I'm part of God's creation that I like he owns me because we have this idea that we we are our self-ownership that we 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 can stand up and even in Wyoming it's I know I criticize it I don't know if criticize is the right word but like I, I'm I'm speaking into the culture and seeing the culture as it plays out because as a church we live within this space and we have to begin to meet people within this space well one of the barriers that we have is people it's the cowboy culture that we have here now we'll help each other but we're never going to know each other. 
We'll help each other, but we won't submit to one another. We won't, you, you want to come and take something from me? You're going to have to get by this fence. You're going to have to get by this moat. And then I have a tank back here that I'll blow your house up with. That I buried in a semi-trailer under the ground. How many, how many tanks do you think are buried in Wyoming? Around the, I mean, there's probably 100 of them that people have bought off the black market and have buried them. But we have this idea that it's mine. This is mine. I own this land. And there's, there's even a pride with it that this is, that this is my land. And, and I, I had a great story with, uh, with Kaya. Kaya Scott. She was telling me how she, her dream is to build a house that she can take care of you guys on, Joe and Marie, on your property. And she said, she said my, my parents have a lot of land, and they're going to let me build a house on it. It's our land. It's my land. And all of a sudden, as a conversation, it was so beautiful. As a congregation, a conversation progressed, it went from I'm going to take care of my parents to I own this land. You know, we have half of the mountain. And she's like, just like talking. It is so great. So you see all the, what's the name of the mountain? Uh, Cole Mountain. She goes, Cole Mountain. That's my parents' land. And it went from moving from this generous, beautiful, like, I, and I, I'm sorry, hey, you're part of family. If I can make fun of your kids, and I make, that means your family. I, we love you guys. <laughs> you're, that's right. It went from this generous, I want, like, story to I'm going to take care of my kids, my parents, to this is mine. And I own it because my parents. And we have that. Ownership is a, is a way in which we live. Self-ownership. When we live that way and we think that way, and we, and we all have your own stories and, and can kind of process through that, like, oh, yeah. When we live with self-ownership, it's impossible at times for us to hear the good news. It's hard for us to hear the gospel. It's hard for us to, 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 to really, truly believe that we've been purchased at a price. That, that there was somebody that went to the cross for us. It's hard for us to receive that. Because we're, we own us. I'm me. I got my stuff. This is me. And, and, and that's the big lie, is that we have, are entitled to our things, and we're entitled to our own lives. Because if you follow Jesus, you've been purchased at a great price. The gospel tells us that we were purchased. The seal of ownership has been placed on us by the Holy Spirit. When we embrace ourselves as our own property, it is next to impossible to embrace the good news. So here's the deal. God owns everything, right? We teach our kids that. We, teach, we, we say that. God owns everything. All of this is God. And I think we need to develop, as we talk about generosity, expansive view of God's ownership. And it's not just found in some obscure passages. It's the entire story of Scripture. God didn't create out of need for anything of himself. He created out of divine freedom. Nothing forced his hands. He created because he loves. He created because he's benevolent. He created because he's generous. He created because he loves you, me, us so deeply. I read this phrase, creation was not initiated by God because there was something lacking in God. Creation wasn't initiated, meaning when it was nothing 
and God created. It's not because he needed more. He did it out of love and generosity. All of creation is made to celebrate God, to feast on his generosity. Everything that we do is made so that we can celebrate who God is. Every meal that you eat, every elk that you kill, everything that happens on earth, every baby that you create is designed to celebrate God. When we help others, it's to celebrate God. When we build these structures, it's to celebrate God. All that happens here on earth is to celebrate God. All creation is to celebrate God. All right, now let's get into our text. Turn to Acts 17 with me. And we're going to be in Matthew 25, but I'm going to go pretty quick here. Acts 17. I just want to read a couple of these verses to you. That was a pretty long introduction. Hey, sometimes it just, you have low low oil pressure. And it kind of goes. Acts 17, verse 24 says this. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands, as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. This first week of talking about generosity, what I hope to do is reframe the relationship between what God bestows on us and how we live that out back to him. I think we know intellectually that God gives us everything, that we, we are given great gifts, that God has created all things. That, but, but do we view him as a benevolent God, as a generous God, as a one that, that's pouring out his love to us? Creation is a gift through which we get to enjoy the creator himself. Creation's a gift. We get to enjoy him and all that he has put into this earth. And energized, as the people of the Bible Project said, energize this earth to where we get to live in it. Whether we eat or drink, everything is for God's glory. Whatever we do is for God's glory. If you've united yourself with Christ and you said, I believe and I, I put my faith in Jesus, all of your actions are supposed to celebrate the benevolent, generous God. And here's the deal. The ultimate lie in which we live is that God is actually holding out on us. That he's holding some stuff back. And as a result, we begin to hold our stuff back. That's the relationship that ends up being become broken. Because we look at him like a boss. Or like the manager. Or like the owner of the company. And he's holding back my salary just a little bit. So I'm going to save just a little bit over here. From, and I'm going I'm to keep some of it for myself. That's a lie that Satan has, begin, has said from creation. Are you sure? That that apple isn't good for eating? Are you sure? Just that seed of doubt alone. That seed of doubt says, wait, maybe God isn't fully revealing himself to me so that I can have all that he's given. So I better take some for me. And selfishness brings itself to the table. And says no. And we begin to say, no, I deserve. I own this. This is mine. This tree is here for me. And it just takes a reframing negatively to start to become 
selfish, lack of generosity, hoarding. It's a lie. If we're giving complete access to the abundance of God, why would we withhold our own generosity towards others? So we're going to reframe our thoughts on God as our master to help reshape our view on our stuff. I won't bow to the things of this world. I'll bow to the Lord and the King of my life. When you have the relationship reframed, stuff stops mattering. Turn to Matthew 25 with me. We're going to read the parable of the tenants. You should know this parable. Talents, I'm sorry. I said tenants, didn't I? I'm in, I'm goofy. <laughs> Let me read this parable to you. Verse 14 of Matthew chapter 25. For it will be like a man going out on a journey who called his servants and entrusted them to his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. So he who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them and made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents and two talents more. But he who received one talent went and dug the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here, I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also who had two talents, came forward saying, Master, you delivered me to two talents. Here I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also, who had received the one talent, came forward saying, Master, I knew you'd be a hard man reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seeds. So I was afraid. And I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to, and give it to him who has ten talents. For to everyone who has will more be given. And he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness in that place. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. What a horrible parable. Horrible. It's just yuck. Anybody out of a boss that they didn't like in their lifetime? I've had a handful. I've been a boss that people didn't like. I've had to fire people. It was fun because I had to use a translator to do it a couple times. And um, it's hard. It's hard to fire people because you look like a monster. And I was a tyrant at Wendy's. Thank you. I was hard. 25 weeks in a row. I was hard at Wendy's when I was managing people. Like, and I was rough. I was pushed them. I was hard on them. To where there was days where a lot of people didn't like to work for me. 
because I would push them, because I always got the bonus. And I've thought about that a little bit. I was a hard manager, and I, I got a bunch of, like, shift workers promoted to managers. I trained people, I, but, but my motivation, my motivation was about the bonus. My stores were always clean, they were always fast, and they always, I, they always performed well. And it, it was only until probably, ha- like probably halfway into my Minnesota Wendy's career to where I realized that I was being rough on these, these young, I don't know, 15-year-old immigrants, really. That I was hard on them. And I, to where I switched a little bit, and started to, to, to be one of them and to lead like one of them and work the line with them. And what happened is my bonuses actually increased because the people started to love to work for me. Now, there weren't always easy days, and it was hard sometimes. And there were times where the boss yelled a little bit. But the more and more they appreciated me as a person, they understood why I was hard. And we were successful. And then I compensated appropriately. Now, how does that relate to the parable of the talents? Well, we look at this and we, we go into the text and we start to go, well, you're supposed to, you're supposed to be a good steward of what you're given. And really that the high kind of teaching there is, yeah, be a good steward of what God's given to you. And who is, who is the manager? God. And we're the people. And we're given something, and the more faithful we are, the better steward we are of, of one thing, the more God will give us, and we'll have abundance. We focus on our performance a lot of times in, these, in this parable. We live out of fear a lot of time in this parable. Am I being a good steward of what God has given me? Am I being generous with what God has given me? And instead of looking at the generosity coming from, from the manager. Like the fact that you were even given five talents should be remarkable anyway. That this boss gave you something to do and gave you the ability to do something with it. It's just a subtle shift. When you, when you position yourself as the worker trying to multiply what God has given you, you forget that God actually gave you something. And you start, to, you start to focus on the stuff. I don't know if you're tracking with me here, but so I, I, I'm going to try to help fast. When we focus on the stuff, the talents, the five talents, the, the two talents, the one talent, when we focus on that, who do we leave out of the mix? We leave the generous benefactor, the generous giver, the one who actually handed us the stuff to deal with. And we, we, we try to figure out how to make the five talents into ten because we know that that's the guy who gets the blessing. And we, and we focus on the stuff. And what I want us to do is I want us to switch and be so grateful that we received, that we received the gift anyway, that regardless of our activity, that the stuff isn't the thing that matters. It's the relationship with the manager. Relationship with the manager is so critical to be able to be a good steward and to be generous. Because when you're a hoarder and you're scared of the manager, 
When you're scared like the third guy was, what do you do? You bury the stuff because you're worried about what he's going to do if you don't earn it back. And I don't, you have to catch this. Your relationship with God, your relationship, individually, your relationship with God actually determines the musterosity. You don't just muster up generosity. You don't just go, you know, I'm going to just give more. Because it's not about just giving more than you're giving as a response to your relationship with the manager. You're giving as a response. It's not about the quantity. Now, I know in this parable, and Jesus is teaching it, that he's, he's pointing out that the person buried it, and it was about the quantity. He didn't even earn any interest. The real lesson here is that the last person was scared of what would happen. He didn't trust. He didn't trust that the manager would take care of him regardless if he worked hard at whatever he had to work hard at, whatever it was. He didn't trust that God was going to deliver or take care of. So you see the broken relationship in the last person? It's not a real relationship. It's a fear-based, like, ownership piece. That's a bad way to say it. (laughs) The third person who buried his one talent was more concerned about the stuff than the Lord. He was bowing down to the things that he could protect because his relationship wasn't deep with the boss. Do you catch that? Are you with me? When we protect our stuff, generosity goes out the window. This isn't a a, a teaching on or a talk on you need to give more. God doesn't need your stuff. God needs your relationship. He doesn't even need that. God wants your relationship. He wants you to trust that he is generous to you, that he has an abundance of everything, that he's willing to give you. And your response to that is to use it however you can. Not to hoard it, not to bury it, not to hide it, not to protect it so that you're so fearful of what he's going to do if you don't double it or triple it or quadruple it. Generosity is birthed out of a trust that God is a giver. You don't own anything. And everything that you have was given to you. And we get in this mindset that I work 40 hours, 50 hours a week. This is mine. I get to keep this. You ever walked into an office and been given your papers that you're done working today? Here's your pink slip. You're done. You ever had that experience? All of a sudden, those 40 hours that you worked week after week after week after week didn't matter anymore because you were just like, like, I'm not valuable. And I feel like that's how, as creation, we we create that relationship with God the Father. 
because we're so fearful that we're going to lose something now. So I think as part of this generosity series, I want us to begin to be invited or to live out a different story. That God is giving all things. And there's not a scarcity mindset that we're going to have. And there's a, there's a relationship between generosity and prudence, too. I know we're going to deal with that a little bit. We don't just get to write checks. I try to get Jinx just to write checks for nothing. <laughs> let's, let's, just, let's just fix that. Let's, let's, and even living here in this, in this church and having this building, we have things we've got to fix, right? We don't just get to go do it and trust that. Like, we don't, just, we don't live that way. There's a relationship between prudence and generosity. And so I know there's a lot of tension there financially. Like, how do we do this? And what I want us to begin to open up is that we don't have to worry. And we don't have to bow to the things of this world. And our stuff isn't the stuff that we're going to hoard. We need to be focused on the relationship and drill down in the relationship. Because generosity isn't about stuff. It's about the relationship you have with the owner of the stuff. And that's really important for us to capture. The relationship you have with the guy who owns all the stuff is the thing that matters the most.